This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. After more than 20 years on Wall Street, Sally Krawcheck was widely considered one of the most powerful women in banking. Recently, Krawcheck purchased the global women's network 85 Broads and has taken her experience in a new direction. I'm Adam Grant. I'm here with Sally Krawcheck. You may know her as the most powerful woman on Wall Street. She ran Merrill and she also ran Smith Barney. And now she's the owner of 85 Broads, the business network for women. Sally, welcome. Thank you, Adam. Talk to me, for starters, about your views on leadership and how they've evolved over the course of your career. Uh, well, leadership is a lot of hard work. Uh, I, you know, I sort of hoped when I was earlier I'd just be a natural leader um, or that it was something that was innate. But it's really a learned skill. And it's the result of, I don't have to tell you, thousands and thousands and thousands of micro lessons over long periods of time in which you try a little bit of leadership, it worked. You try this method of leadership, you fall on your face. Somebody gives you feedback, you adjust, and it can be some big lessons at the end of your review. Uh, but more importantly, it's those micro lessons that occur. And one of the things that I'm very aware of is that for women, one of my, pa- my passions is, is women in business and helping women to get ahead in business, that that feedback loop can be broken. Uh, that women won't get as much feedback from male bosses as men will get. Um, And so, therefore, they have to make an extra effort, whether that's unfortunate, good, bad, indifferent, uh, have to make that extra effort, as I did during the entire course of my career, to say, how did I do? Did I I do an okay job on answering that question? How did I do in terms of that business presentation? How did I do... Uh, you know, with that deck? How did I do in that meeting? And to constantly be looking for feedback that might otherwise not be offered in order to learn leadership and to get ahead. So I, I think that's a fascinating dilemma to, mm-hmm. to navigate because uh, one of my mentors, Sue Ashford, spent the, about the last 30 years studying feedback seeking. Mm-hmm. And she finds that people who actually seek out criticism get better ratings and tend to rise faster. Of oh. course, fishing for compliments is bad, mm-hmm. but there's also this risk of being perceived as insecure. If you're constantly asking, how did I do? What could yeah. I be doing better? How did you manage that? But I think it's tone. You know, there's, how did I do? Did I do okay? And there's, hey, how could I make that better? What did you think of that? Was that, you know, was that okay? Um, and so I think there's a certain matter-of-factness to it Um, And look, you don't have to do it 12 times a day. But if you present to the board of directors, it's worth when it's over, what can I do next time to do a better job? And what that does is it gives other individuals, those who give you feedback, a stake in you. You know, because they gave that feedback, they're there for you then in a way that they wouldn't be if you finish the presentation, leave the room, and that's that. Assuming, of course, that you actually listen to their feedback and take it into account the next time around. Well, and this is where people can run into trouble because if you ask for feedback, you're not going to get positive feedback 100% of the time. And indeed, sometimes you'll get feedback that just doesn't feel right. And there's always that desire, particularly amongst younger professionals I've seen, to fight the feedback or get defensive about the feedback. And the truth is, if that's the feedback, it's the reality. It might not be what you were intending. It might not be what you think, but that's, that's even more valuable if it doesn't feel quite right because you're learning new information that you can incorporate. Mm-hmm. 
So you mentioned that, that seeking feedback is actually one way to increase the investment that other people have in you. And I think that relates to one of your favorite observations, which is that networking is probably the most undervalued skill that people deal with in their careers. What are your, your favorite tips on how to build a, a great network? Well, the problem is many individuals think of networking as schmoozing. And what can pop into our head is a couple of folks on a golf course, and then there's a beer afterwards. And, and I have nothing against that whatsoever. Um, I prefer wine, but beer is perfectly good too. But what a network actually can be is a, a network of, of nerve endings, sort of a, a feedback mechanism, and that you get a certain amount of feedback if you and I are the only people we know in the world you will have a pretty limited um, set of information. But as you know more and more people, you're able to hear much more quickly about the new piece of research that impacts your company, the startup that can impact your company, the RFP that's being done, the board position that's opened up, you know, you name it, the, the really talented individual who's now available for hire. And loose connections are more likely to lead to your next business opportunity than your close connection. So it's really having a network out there. And my advice for folks on networking is, and you will appreciate this more than anybody, give give, give. You'll later receive, but you're really planting these seeds that are out there. And many of them, some of them will die and they won't become anything. And many of them will take many, many years before they pay off for you, if at all. Are there favorite acts of giving that you've focused on as you've thought about building your own network? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be big stuff. It doesn't have to be, Adam, I am presenting you with a business gift. Uh, but instead, it can be Oh, gosh, I met with Adam a couple weeks ago, and I know he was interested in X, and here's an article on X. So let me send it over to him. Um, you know, or I met someone that Adam would, you know, I think they'd really hit it off. Let me make that introduction to them or offer to make it to them. It's the little things that are out there um, that one can do just keeping other people in mind that, you know, that I find come back double and triple time. And in fact, you know, I don't think I've gotten a new business opportunity or a new job from an executive search person, terrific though many of them are, um, since I graduated from business school. Uh, but the opportunities that I've uh, come across have come from my network. So what do most people do wrong then when they build their networks? One problem, obviously, you mentioned is dealing with people who are too similar to you or having a closed loop. Another is focusing on schmoozing or what I can get as opposed to what I can contribute. Any other errors that you see? Well, as we think about women, um, women as they move through their 20s into their 30s, they're not doing enough networking. And and I can feel what so many of them are thinking, like, I like, I don't have enough time to do everything I'm doing, much less that. But uh, some of the research I've seen shows that as we get into our mid-30s, as some of the gentlemen move ahead in their careers and the women don't, one part of it is who you know, what you know. It's not, are you good at your job? By that time, if you're not good at that job, you're in a different job. But as, as the individuals get the promotion, it can be those people who've got those, those strong networks. And so for many women, it's not a network this way or network that way. It's, it's think about networking. And again, it doesn't have to be the day at the golf course. It can be the email connection that occurs. You used a word that's a little bit of music to my ears a moment ago, which is research. 
it's something that we don't hear leaders do very often, but it's something that I, I've noticed is very distinctive about your writing, that there's often a research shows, or here's what the evidence suggests. How do you stay up to date on evidence, and what advice would you offer to leaders on that? You know, it's so funny. I was Earlier today, I was, I was saying I, I consider myself to be a recovering research analyst, and my first job wasn't as a research analyst on, on Wall Street, but it was very early on, and it was sort of my, my foundational job. And what I love about research you know, is, you know, you can, you can just vacuum it all up and you can piece a, a very interesting portrait together from the little bits of research you put together. Um, so I always said as a manager and a leader, I embrace your opinion. I'd love to hear your opinion, but we're making decisions off of facts and off of research. Um, and so I read research like other people read sports magazines or fashion magazines. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone. Oh, no, it's it's a really uh, party time around my house on the weekend as I read research. <laughs> well, so the other thing that I've, I've admired most when reading your work over the past few years is how candid you are about failures, especially. Um, again, extremely unusual to hear a leader with so much experience and so many accomplishments admit, I got fired not once but twice, and here's what I took away from it. <laughs> how did you get to that level of candor, first of all? I don't know. You know, I look, I think there's a I think I have an underlying gratitude for the opportunities I've had. If you had told me when I was a, a girl growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, the sixties and the seventies, that I would be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. I, I wouldn't I would have said, What's the Wall Street Journal? But it would have flabbergasted me. And if you'd said then, and by the way, you're gonna be fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, I would have said, Score. <laughs> wow, I get to do something that is gonna, is gonna have an impact. And, and I still have that sense of I can't believe I get to do what I get to do. It's by accident of birth, it's by accident of who my parents were that I've had these set of opportunities, which I've, to take nothing away from the hard work, which you know, I worked hard to, to achieve, but if it's, there's a sense of gratitude. And then if you think about all the folks who've helped me along the way, if I can share some of my experiences and keep one young person from making one of the mistakes I've made. And, and by the way, this is particularly true for those of us who are in the banking industry during the downturn. I think every one of us should be talking about what happened and really exploring and thinking about the causes of those downturns. I think we owe it to the next generation. I think we owe it to our country, quite frankly. So I don't know. You know, and by the way, it was all in the paper anyway. So what, what the heck am I going to hide? <laughs> pretend like it didn't happen? Does that mean it was maybe more difficult to be that open earlier in your career when you had a stumbling block or an no, obstacle? No, nobody cared. <laughs> I mean, you, you do reach a you do reach a point where if you're you're talking about the stumbling block and you're 30 years old, people are saying you're you're boring. Um, but that you know, once you've had a certain level of achievement, um, you know, again, I think you 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 have an obligation to to share if you if you feel comfortable doing so. You've mentioned that women in business is a big passion of yours and a relatively newly discovered one. Yeah. What, what are your favorite recommendations for, first of all, increasing the representation of women in leadership positions, and secondly, not just representation, but making sure that, that women end up having a real impact? Well, I think this is incredibly important, and I think there is an enormous amount of good advice, much of it directed to women, about what they can do to achieve. Um, and there are terrific best-selling books on it. I think there's another avenue for us to explore because if we take that to an extreme, you know, we have to remember that the uh, positive part, the benefit of diversity is diversity. And so if we try to put everyone into the same box, 
how much of that benefit of diversity are you giving up? And so I, as I think about it, I think a lot about getting the gentleman into the conversation on gender diversity. Uh, we're having conversations earlier today about some of the biases, the subtle, well-meaning biases men and women have about women and how to see those as being uh, a sort of friction in the system um, that if we can overcome can enable business to be more successful because while you know our, all the analysts out there will say we haven't necessarily proven causation, I'm not sure if we've gone to correlation, but it is an awfully big coincidence that more diverse companies have higher returns, lower volatility, lower risk, more client focus, more innovation, you know, that diverse leadership teams outperform more smarter, more capable leadership teams. I mean, all these things are good. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, what are the, if it were easy, we would have already fixed it. So what are the many different means to helping get um, more diversity at the top, put another way, less groupthink? Let's bring this then to Wall Street specifically. Yeah. So I spent some time working with Goldman Sachs over the summer on the culture change initiatives that they were beginning, including not working on Saturdays and yeah. uh, actually redesigning jobs to make yeah. them more enriched, more learning opportunities, more client contact. I was quite impressed by their commitment to mm -hmm. actually reinventing what work was like for analysts and associates. Where do you see Wall Street moving? Well, thank goodness we're, companies are starting to address that because there's just no way that's good for anybody. And And even if we think it's a f good idea to drive these young people into the ground. Um, you've seen the research that I've seen on business creativity and business productivity. And there's no doubt someone who's pulled an all-nighter after all-nighter, there's no way there's do they're doing as good a job for the clients and eventually for the shareholders as someone who is able to th string two thoughts together. Um, so I think, you know, that, that is a, a worthy undertaking, and that's at the bottom of these organizations. We've talked about diversity getting to the top of these organizations. You know, one of the, I think, truly unexamined causes of the financial crisis, and we've spent so much time as a country on the topic of greed as a cause, I'd say a cause we should also be thinking about is groupthink. And while there is in the sort of popular press this view that these were Wall Street evil geniuses who foresaw the downturn. You've probably seen the research that I have that shows that subprime bankers had worse personal real estate performance than the average American. So these were not evil geniuses. These were individuals who bought, you know, who made the soup and ate the soup. And so how do we inject um, skepticism, questioning, different thinking into these, these companies? And one is, let people get some sleep so they can think. Another is diversity, and I think we need to keep chipping away at this. I love the, the idea of focusing on groupthink. When Janice first did the research on this topic, he thought it was all about becoming too cohesive, mm -hmm. and that if, if a group got too tight-knit, then they would actually stop questioning and challenging each other. And now the evidence suggests something quite different, which is it's actually about overconfidence, that a group can be tight, but as long as we know we don't have all the answers and we are willing to question each other, we can actually get diverse perspectives. Mm -hmm. How do you then keep confidence in check? especially as you gain success in your career? Well, I think that's one question. I think the other question is the tone from the top. What, you know, what I've seen in the, I've worked for seven financial services CEOs directly. So I think that's more than anybody. Um, and the, the real question is, how does that CEO encourage an active debate and drive an active debate? And at the best I've seen, oh, come on, Adam, give us your point of view. Take the other side. Okay, you don't believe in the other side, take it anyway. 
Let's, you know, let's argue and let's scream at each other. Let's really get into this. And on another side, I've seen CEOs who've shut people off and shut people down. We don't have time for this. We, we don't have the luxury for this. This is the path we've chosen. Let's go. Where they have put quickness of decision-making over quality of decision-making. So I think it's, you know, I think there's an individual question of how does one do that, but I think there's a tone from the top question too, which has to come from the CEO or the business leader as well as the board. What do you do with a leader who doesn't quite appreciate the importance of that? Find another job. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> well, you know, the, look, there are um, sometimes when one has to sort of fold one's tent and go to someplace else. Um, whether it's a, a – because there are plenty of companies in this world. You know, you, you do not have to stay at one company for forever if um, there isn't the environment one wants, if the company doesn't have the values that one wants. You know, you can try to work from within. But if you're a mid-level employee and the company's doing things that you don't agree with, you're allowed to get another job. So you obviously have a chance to make a huge impact on many of these issues through the work that you're doing with 85 Broads. Mm -hmm. What's your vision? Well, 85 Broads, as I say, the cheekily named 85 Broads, um, I think is such an interesting business because it, it's modern in many ways. It's a network. And I'm so fascinated by the idea that if we wanted to accomplish things in business until five years ago, 10 years ago, it was a company. And now people can come together with a common goal in a network. So that's fascinating for me to sort of watch how a network can move and evolve. And this is a network around helping women advance their careers and helping companies advance their women, which, as we've discussed, is something that can have a real economic impact. If women were as engaged in the economy as men are, our GDP would be 9 percent bigger. And in many countries around the world, they'd grow even more. And, and we've talked, of course, about the positive impact to individual companies. Um, networking, as we mentioned, is the number one unwritten rule of success in business. So those things coming together for me is a topic that matters, something that I feel passionate about, my team feels passionate about. It's heaven. It's absolute heaven. So we've got lots of cool and interesting things to try, many of which will fail, many of which will fail. Um, but the opportunity to try it and be nimble and entrepreneurial at this stage of my career is about the most fun thing I've done in a long time. That's encouraging to hear, actually. And it makes me wonder, what can men do to get into this conversation? I've, I've talked frequently with executives and with students about the fact that oftentimes conversations about women in business shut the door to men. Um, it's a topic that I care a lot about, <laughs> and it's not always easy to get into that dialogue. So what can we do? Well, I'll take the other point of view. Um, which is, I'd say, get into that conversation. I have sort of a joke, except it's not a joke, that I often tell when I go to these, these conferences um, in which I say, I mean, we've convinced each other. We women all agree that gender diversity matters. But I will tell you, I worked in businesses that were mostly men, and by mostly men, I mean by far mostly men, uh, for more than 20-plus years. Um, and I have to tell you, I've, I've interrupted a lot of gentlemen having discussions a lot of times over that time. And never once did it go like this. Hey, guys, hey, what are y'all talking about? Oh, Sally, interesting to see you. We're talking about the importance of gender diversity for business. <laughs> that never happened. And so I'd say get in the conversation. You know, begin to talk about it. Begin to live it. You know, take actions to overcome those subtle biases. And it matters. Tone from the top. Tone from the top of a business uh, matters. Recognize that we all have these biases. Learn about them and learn to overcome them. 
Well, I certainly hope that more of us can. Yeah. And we're really thrilled that you're able to join us today. Thank you. Adam, thank you for having me. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.